circle, yes, we rotate. 360 degrees, high, high, 360 degrees, high, high, 306, 306, 360 degrees, high, high. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program, broadcasting from right here at KPFA in Huchin, occupied Ohlone Territory, also known to settlers as Berkeley, California. This week on Full Circle, we'll be diving into the politics of the National Football League. Yes, the NFL. On tonight's show, we will hear clips from Dave Zirin's groundbreaking film, Behind the Shield, The Power and Politics of the NFL. And we'll hear other sports-related productions from First Voice Apprentices, including what the tailgate section of the Oakland Coliseum thought of Colin Kaepernick taking a knee. Also, a commentary on the black male body as commodities for use in places like the NFL and other sports organizations. And of course, as Full Circle joins in on the holiday fun drive, we will be asking for your support for this important media outlet, KPFA. All that tonight on Full Circle. I'm your host tonight, Free Will and Franklin, coming to you from downtown Antioch. This is Bay Miwok territory right here. Keep it locked to KPFA. Yes, again, welcome to Full Circle, the weekly show produced by apprentices and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. My name is Freewell and Franklin, and I will be your host tonight. And yes, I am excited to be able to present this film, Behind the Shield, The Power and Politics of the NFL. I am a fan of football and a quote-unquote consumer of the sport. And we have covered a lot of sports-related social justice issues here on Full Circle in the past. So this is really a treat for me to be able to share this film with you tonight. And I kind of want to set it up as this question, who started the politics in the NFL? Was it when Colin Kaepernick took a knee to protest police brutality? Or was it decades before during the height of the Vietnam War and social unrest where Nixon became the first sitting president to attend an NFL game? Or was it the first military flyover? Or was it at Super Bowl XXV when just weeks into the first Gulf War, President George H.W. Bush gave a support the troop speech with his wife and used Disney to create a halftime show with children walking hand in hand with the members of the military? These are just some of the politics of the NFL. Remember when you're listening to this first clip, 
If you would like to donate and get yourself a copy of this film, Behind the Shield, The Power and the Politics of the NFL, you can make that donation anytime at kpfa.org or you can call 1-800-439-5732. That's 1-800-HEY-KPFA. Okay, here's the first clip of the new film uh, by Dave Zirin, sports writer for The Nation magazine. This is Behind the Shield, the power and politics of the NFL. In football, the object is for the quarterback, otherwise known as the field general, to be on target with his aerial assault, riddling the defense by hitting his receivers with deadly accuracy, in spite of the blitz, even if he has to use the shotgun. With short bullet passes and long bombs, he marches his troops into enemy territory, balancing this aerial assault with a sustained ground attack which punches holes in the forward wall of the enemy's defensive line. Hitting begins with hand-to-hand combat at the line of scrimmage. Their war is a lonely war that is submerged and fought in the trenches. The idea of football as a battlefield and players as warriors is built into the very language of the sport. Like guided missiles, players carried heavy payloads, and they used their bodies to launch retaliatory strikes with devastating effect. Number 50, search and destroy. Well, when he is not coaching the Cougs, you can find head football coach Mike Leach leading a lecture. For the last five weeks, Leach and former state senator Mike Baumgartner have been teaching a course called Insurgent Warfare and Football Strategy. During the surge in Iraq, American military focused on constricting the insurgency space, said Baumgartner. Then, Coach Leach used Cougar football film to show how his air raid offense gives opponents fewer options in space. And all of this has made the NFL the nation's premier staging ground for displays of patriotism and militarism. From massive field-sized flags and flyovers to the NFL's salute to service campaigns and four-star generals doing the coin flip before the Super Bowl. NFL football games have become celebrations and spectacles of national pride and America's armed forces. So that on the biggest stage in sports, You have football, the flag, and the military, routinely and seamlessly integrated, coming to embody the very ideal of American power and strength. In a game known for its complex passing patterns and crossing routes, it only makes sense that a good flyover can give inspiration. The anthem is ending. It's hitting that beautiful crescendo. Plane comes over, and that's America. If you're around the world and you're watching that, I think you go, you know what? I get it. America's pretty cool. And it tells you everything you need to know about how deeply political and ideological these things are when you realize they only really start to become a common feature of the NFL during the Vietnam War. During the 60s, you have all these different movements, the anti-war movement, the black freedom struggle, challenging the old order. And it's precisely at this moment that the NFL starts to be weaponized. Whenever they wave the stars and above you. Not from the left-wing radicals of the counterculture, but by those who saw in football a way to project the traditional patriotic values that were being questioned in the larger society. Let's make America what it used to be. 
before anyone can embrace freedom, I think they must first embrace those things which underline freedom. They are duty and respect for authority and a development of a mental discipline. No NFL figure embodied these traditional values more than Green Bay Packers coach Vince Lombardi, whose teams were dominant throughout the 1960s. Lombardi represented everything the left-wing counterculture allegedly seemed to lack. Physical and mental toughness, discipline, respect for authority. And in 1969, the Nixon administration would mobilize Lombardi and NFL football as political weapons. Two days after the Vietnam War moratorium, one of the largest anti-Vietnam protests to that point, a Nixon aide drafted a memo encouraging the president to attend football. Nixon agreed, becoming the first sitting president to attend an NFL game, which just so happened to be between the Dallas Cowboys and the Washington football team, which was now coached by Vince Lombardi. I think as we think of men like Vince Lombardi, we can think of what that should mean and can mean to America. It did set up a contrast. He wanted the country to know that football fans were different than the moratorium people. The Redskins made a decision as to what they wanted to do for their halftime that involved all the branches of the armed forces. The message to the American people was clear. During a time of deep political divisions, the National Football League was on the side of Nixon, the flag, and the war. In fact, Pete Rozelle, the NFL's commissioner, had already made the decision to use the league to tip the scales in a pro-war direction. Super Bowl II featured the first military flyover. And in 1969, Rozelle staged an elaborate patriotic halftime show called America Thanks. The symbol of American pride and power. And as American and Vietnamese casualties were piling up, and popular opposition to the Vietnam War was growing, Roselle turned his attention to the national anthem. Before the 1970 Super Bowl between the Minnesota Vikings and the Kansas City Chiefs, Roselle demanded that players stand upright and totally still during the anthem with helmets held under their arms. Roselle went so far as to mandate that players prepare for the national anthem by doing drills during Super Bowl practices, appointing a member of his staff as, quote, vice president in charge of the national anthem. Meanwhile, the NFL did its best to act like it reflected the free-thinking spirit of the times. During the 1960s, there was marching in the street and walking on the moon. Profound changes affected every aspect of American culture, and pro football was no different. But the rebel image the NFL tried to cultivate during this period was family-friendly and limited to things like players growing their hair out. From his unconventional white shoes to his mod god hair, Namath stands alone in his flamboyance. Guys like Joe Namath were the epitome of rebels without a cause, completely devoid of any of the scary political content that was raging in the real world. Their rebellion only as long as their sideburns. Some football players wanted some things changed. I mean, why would a guy not be able to wear a mustache or have long hair? Silly things, you know. And on the very rare occasions when NFL players did show the courage to stand up for what they believed in, they paid a heavy price. My next guest one of pro football's most, was one of pro football's most ferocious linebackers, and he's written a book which is not out yet, but a lot of people are dreading its publication. Will you welcome, please, Dave Magacy. 
Just look what happened to St. Louis Cardinals linebacker Dave Megacy, who in many ways was the Colin Kaepernick of his time. Megacy refused to come out for the anthem and then walked away from the sport writing a blistering book that exposed how the language and culture of the league were being used to sell the Vietnam War. I think the whole resendetta football is, is violence, it's institutional violence. A man by the name of Thomas Morgan wrote a piece in Esquire about three years ago called The American War Game. And like Colin Kaepernick, paid for raising these issues with his job. It really came down to in my last year in 1969 when I was benched because of my anti-war activities. The message was clear. The only political messages allowed in NFL football are those that promote uncritical patriotism, blind obedience to political authority, and support for American militarism, something we've seen again and again in the years since, especially during times of war. Four, three, two, one, and five. Oh, Just two hours ago, Allied Air Forces began an attack on military targets in Iraq and Kuwait. In 1991, 10 days before the Super Bowl between the New York Giants and the Buffalo Bills, the United States launched a massive aerial assault against Saddam Hussein's Iraqi forces in Kuwait and initiated the first Gulf War. It was the first major U.S. combat operation since the catastrophe in Vietnam. And while there didn't seem to be much enthusiasm for football, the NFL made the decision to play the game. In a stadium with the tightest security of any NFL game ever played, Super Bowl 25 began under the shadow of war in the Mideast. And proceeded to use it to push the pro-war index to new heights. The NFL gave out 72,000 American flags to fans to wave as they entered the stadium. Then there was this. The NFL turned to Disney to produce a patriotic halftime show cast almost entirely with children, intercutting all-American childhood innocence with images of troops going to war in the Gulf, and then brought the children of American military personnel onto the field before capping it all off with a child-friendly war message from President George H.W. Bush and First Lady Barbara Bush. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. Good evening from the White House to everyone in the Sunshine State and around the world enjoying this wonderful game. Today we should recognize the men and women in our armed forces. Far away from home, they protect freedom in the Persian Gulf and around the world. On behalf of the whole Bush family, thank you for allowing us to be with you tonight. And God bless you all, and God bless all freedom-loving people around the world. But the pregame festivities stole the show when Whitney Houston, dressed in red, white, and blue, delivered what's probably the most famous national anthem performance in sports history. As she sang, American military personnel held flags of US allies in the war effort and the American flag was everywhere.
Welcome back. You are listening to clips from the documentary film Behind the Shield, The Power and the Politics of the NFL. This is Full Circle on KPFA. And this is by friend of KPFA, Dave Zirin, who is the sports writer for The Nation magazine and also the host of the podcast, The Edge of Sports. As many of you may know, we are raising funds for KPFA tonight. And if you would like to get a copy of this film, Behind the Shield, you can make a donation right now at kpfa.org. Again, you could also call 1-800-439-5732. That's 1-800-HEY-KPFA. And as many of you may know, and as I did mention in the opening of the show, I am a consumer of the NFL. I've been a fan of the Oakland or previously Oakland Raiders um, passed down from my dad my entire life. So when the Raiders were still here in Oakland, I was a season ticket holder and I would tailgate all day until game time and go root for my team. So this film, it really hits hard for us football fans and our many beliefs that we carry, whatever they may be. Um, when what they did to Colin Kaepernick was out for everyone to see, it got a lot of people on both sides, including myself, questioning my participation or my consumption of the NFL. But this militarism the film just spoke of is only the tip of the iceberg. Coming up in just a few moments, we'll hear about what did happen to Colin Kaepernick and other players that took a knee. But right now, I want to ask for your support for us, this important radio station, KPFA. As many of our listeners may have already heard, we are in some serious financial trouble here at KPFA and the Pacifica Radio Network. And I'm coming up on 16 years here at KPFA, and I can tell you um, this is a serious time. It's the most serious time I feel um, since I've been here. And I think what we need to concentrate on right now is just keeping us going, KPFA and the Pacifica Radio Network. If you are able to make a donation right now, please head on over to kpfa.org. Or you can call the phone number 1-800-439-5732. You can actually get yourself a copy of this film, Behind the Shield, The Power and Politics of the NFL. And this film gets into a lot. It gets into how um, it's supposed to harden men and make them, quote unquote, um, not sissies that have become soft here in the United States. This film talks about when the first black players were allowed in the NFL. And you might be surprised because it was back in the 1920s. It was open then. It didn't become until the 1930s after a meeting of team owners that they actually banned black players from playing in the league. All this information can be yours when you get yourself a copy of the film Behind the Shield, The Power and the Politics of the NFL. And this DVD can be yours for a donation of a one-time donation of $120, or you can make that a $12 donation in 10 payments. Again, the number one more time, 1-800-439-5732, or the preferred method, the website, kpfa.org. 
O-R-G. Head on over to that website and click the donate tab. And again, I'll say as a football fan, this film really interests me to see the real history behind how this organization was formed and the connection to the military and militarism. When they talked about the Vietnam War and how they used the NFL to give a counter message to all the activity and action that was going on in the streets, the protests, it really struck home for me because Vietnam is where I lost my uncle, John Charles Sterling, a man I never got to meet. So this film, Behind the Shield, The Power and Politics of the NFL, can really be an eye-opener. And again, it's whatever side of the spectrum you're on. If you're on the side of militarism and using the NFL for nationalism, for militarism, and what we find out is fake patriotism because they, they pay for it, then you're going to get to see how the NFL does that in this film. And if you're on the other side where this kind of upsets you or frustrates you that the NFL does that because you're a sports fan and it just gets to you, well, this will give you an insight into what you are supporting when we do support and consume um, national sports, the NFL, baseball, basketball. Take this moment to head over to kpfa.org and grab yourself a copy of the film, the DVD behind the shield, the power and politics of the NFL. It's for a donation one time of $120, or you can make $12 payments over 10 months. KPFA.org. Thank you, everyone calling in right now. I really appreciate it. And all those that are donating online, thank you so much. We're about to go back to another clip of the film that does cover the police brutality protest of Colin Kaepernick and other players who took a knee during the national anthem. But before I play that clip, um, I want to hear from fans at the Oakland Coliseum from when Colin Kaepernick was taking a knee. I recorded these fans in the parking lot during the tailgate party at the Oakland Coliseum. Check it out. Well, for Kaepernick, he's trying to make a difference in the world. Um, police brutality, I feel it has gotten worse. I feel like police should be retrained to not, to not attack first, then not ask questions. And I feel like Kaepernick is, has started a trend here, which is actually a good thing. You know, just why not? Just like, don't show respect to a flag that continues to show like unequal rights to certain races everywhere it actually makes a lot of sense thank you i personally think everyone has their right to stand up for what they believe in i fight for the right for people to stand up for what they believe in i don't mind that's what i gave up my rights for so that's what i stand for what branch of the service are you in i'm in the air force somebody got to stand up and say something and we understand that and just like they said, Black Lives Matter. Well, this thing is beyond just black at this point. So somebody got to get some national recognition so we can slow down the police brutality. We can slow down the homeless encampments. When did homeless encampments and buggy pushing become our culture? My brother served. My father served. It's disrespectful. Un-American and one of the most American games in the, in the, in the world right here. You can't Baseball. play American football anywhere else but in the United States. And if he doesn't want to play football and respect our flag, then you know what? He could go somewhere else. So the whole point of him taking a knee is for the deaths and the justice that follow, right? But nobody's talking about that. They were talking about 
U.S. American taking a knee, national anthem, military. Right? They're not talking about the deaths. So, yeah. uh, shame on him. I think he's a. D Come on, you're a role model. Be a role model. You're getting paid millions of dollars. Be an example, not part of the problem. You don't think he's being an example by like putting no. his uh, best foot no. forward? No, shame on them. Shame on them. I feel like he's in his right for the simple fact that it's calling the right attention. A protest, is the point is to call attention to the matter. If it doesn't call attention, everybody says do the peaceful protest. What does that mean if it doesn't get the right attention? It's, 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 it's making the conversation happen. He's not defending the flag. He's defending the our rights. Well, it's constitutional right. Just bringing awareness to um, what's going on around um, the nation and um, somebody taking the stand and making a difference so other people can be aware of what's going on. It's nothing against the military. They fought for our constitutional right, and he has the constitutional right to protest. So I feel it shouldn't be an issue with that because they fought for our constitutional right. So I see there's no problem with that. I'm a Raider fan, so I never really cared for Kaepernick. But when he made that stand and put his career on the line, I, I respect him as a man for that, for standing up for his people and, and the rights of his people. The national anthem doesn't cater to the minority, which is the black man, the Mexican, the Indian. We try for equality, and we've been trying for years, and it just seems that we can't get nowhere with that. So I think the best thing now is to take the lead as a people. If he wasn't on that platform, he wouldn't have gotten the recognition that he has gotten. You know, and there's a lot of players that feels the way he does, but Kaepernick was the first one who went out there and expressed the way he felt. Now you got players just kind of following along. Do you think it took some real courage for him to actually do that? I think, yes, he's the man. He, Kaepernick is the man for, for doing that, you know? And, uh, you know, yeah, he's the man. I got my black on, I got my silver on. I see my Raiders in the building, we gon' get it on. Talking about Brave Nation, Brave Nation. All right, welcome back to Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM KPFA, part of the Pacifica Radio Network. You just heard some folks outside the Oakland Coliseum before one of the Oakland Raider games, and I recorded that in the height of the NFL's push to silence Colin Kaepernick. This is one of the topics covered in tonight's feature film, Behind the Shield, The Power and Politics of the NFL. And you could hear the mixed feelings of the fans that were out there about Colin Kaepernick. But what did the NFL uh, think and do about Colin Kaepernick and other players that used their position to protest police brutality? Let's go back to the film now and take a listen to this next clip from Behind the Shield, The Power and Politics of the NFL. And we'll hear how the NFL and the media conspired to vilify and demonize the players that chose to speak out. And don't forget, while you're listening, if you want to get yourself a copy of this film, give us a click at kpfa.org or give us a call at one 800 439 only one man commands the flight of a football. He is the quarterback. 
And then, of course, there's the history of black quarterbacks in the NFL. Like Hollywood's matinee idols, pro football's quarterbacks draw the camera's eye with a magnetic allure. For years, being a quarterback was thought of as a thinking man's position and only suitable for white players. There's a long and ugly history in this country of seeing black athletes, including black football players, as intellectually inferior to whites and as undisciplined buffoons. So for decades, black quarterbacks who were stars in college were switched to wide receivers and other positions when they got to the NFL. The quarterback is supposed to be the smart guy. And Negroes infer the owners don't think any of them are smart enough. Understandably, this angers them. If you are white, you overlook the issues and enjoy the game. On the other hand, if you are black, must sometimes chew at your insides. I even had a problem, you know, just being able to play quarterback at my high school as an African-American because they didn't want to see an African-American guy in those type of leadership roles. Doug Williams, he is a man about to step solidly into the pages of social history. These conceptions weren't shattered until Doug Williams took Washington, of all teams, to the 1988 Super Bowl, and as the first black quarterback to ever start the big game, broke every passing record that the league had ever seen. I hope he puts to bed once and for all about the black athlete in professional football. But while there's no question that players like Doug Williams and Warren Moon opened the door for black quarterbacks in the NFL today, black QBs continue to be stereotyped as more athletic than intelligent. And the percentage of black quarterbacks is still strikingly low for a league that is roughly two-thirds black. For everything that the pioneers, the, the guys that we've we were talking about, for everything they accomplished and endured, still dealing with racism. The interesting thing to me is that we see a lot of stars that are black quarterbacks, right? We don't see many average right. black quarterbacks, right? You're not seeing many black backup quarterbacks. There's a few, but it's not many. The cold truth is that this is a sport that revels in the violence of the black body for the consumption of white fans, as well as the profit of white owners. And it has a major issue with any kind of black autonomy and control. And there's no question this is one of the reasons that Colin Kaepernick has posed such a threat to the NFL. Not only is he a quarterback, he's a black quarterback. And he decided to use his position as quarterback, the most high profile position in the NFL, the most public position in sports, to defy the NFL power structure. And on top of that, use the national anthem as his staging ground to do it. Colin Kaepernick, what he did and what he said crosses sports boundaries. 49ers quarterback refusing to stand for the national anthems of four games. In protest over racial injustice and police brutality. <laughs> That summer, two murders committed by police had been caught on tape, one of a man named Philando Castile and the other of Alton Sterling. These police shootings were taking place in poor black communities where a lot of these players were from. So they felt this issue very intimately. Even though we're playing in this league and we're able to do these things on Sunday, we still are people and we still are connected to the things and the issues that are happening around us. Alton Sterling was killed by police last week. And they had people on social media saying, who's gonna stand up? Are you gonna stand up and try to do something about this? This is what Kaepernick was responding to. A lot of my teammates come from areas where this might be a situation. Their families might be put in this situation. There's people being murdered unjustly. Cops are getting paid leave for killing people. That's not right. That's not right by anyone's standards. 
and the reaction was absolute rage. Seven NFL executives, they were anonymous, but the consensus, he says, is that the front offices hate Kaepernick for hate is the word, hate him. They called him a traitor. NFL executives immediately made it clear that black athletes using their platform to try to peacefully raise awareness about racism were somehow un-American and an embarrassment to the league. I've seen far more press conferences of GMs and owners and coaches sticking by their guys amid some pretty murky and disgusting circumstances. But that's all good. But here's somebody who's trying to stand for justice and for equality and you consider that to be somehow embarrassing your NFL. When the dust settled, Kaepernick paid for raising these issues with his job, colluded against and shut out of the league by NFL owners. This morning, the quarterback who led the San Francisco 49ers to a Super Bowl four years ago can't find an NFL team. But NFL owners and executives didn't stop at going after Kaepernick themselves. They also stood by and said and did nothing while Donald Trump and a rising chorus of overwhelmingly white reactionary voices revived every racist trope in the book to bully and vilify Kaepernick and other black players who took a knee. They're ungrateful millennial millionaires who won't stand for their own anthem. I think it's a little bit ludicrous that people are raising their fists when they're really filled with cash. I am a girl who doesn't know a lot about football, but I do know an <laughs> ungrateful jerk when I see one. <laughs> During the time he was taking a knee, Kaepernick had given away more than a million dollars to the kinds of grassroots community organizations that have trouble keeping the lights on. But that wasn't enough for a lot of people. Why don't they get off their knees and do something? Spend yeah. some money, get off your knees and athletes. walk the walk. The league also remained silent and demonstrated zero leadership when a chorus of commentators and sports figures revived the long history of white people of questionable intelligence demeaning black minds. This is a silly story. It's getting yeah. sillier to me, Tucker. I mean, this guy's a child with a head injury. He's a moron. He doesn't know what he's doing. These players are so uninformed or stupid, I'm not sure which, they don't understand what the national anthem and the American flag stand for. Then the league held its fire and cowered on the sidelines when Donald Trump told millions of Fox News viewers that Kaepernick and other black players should maybe find another country to live in. Maybe you shouldn't be in the country. You have to stand proudly for the national anthem. A classic race-baiting message with its go-back-to-Africa overtones that clearly resonated with Trump's white nationalist nativist base. I got a better idea. Why don't you go back to Africa and form your little football teams over in Africa? The player protests had clearly provoked something deep, ugly, and primordial in the American consciousness. Colin Kaepernick. Kaepernick's jersey and likeness were burned and hanged. He faced death threats. And a lot of people got off on playing out their fantasies of doing violence to him. The Navy is investigating a pair of videos showing a demonstration of military dogs attacking a man wearing a Colin Kaepernick jersey. And the backlash against Kaepernick and the protests wasn't limited to Trump supporters on the right. What's your reaction to Colin Kaepernick? I mean, I, I'd do it differently. I think if you really thought about issues uh, and about this country, you'd do it differently. And when I heard him explain his rationale, it didn't really make that much sense to me. And there was no missing how much these perspectives were shaped by race. 
From the very start, polls showed that huge majorities of black Americans supported Kaepernick and the protests, had no trouble understanding what Kaepernick was saying, and saw the protest as an act of courage. When Colin initiated what he did, it brought a sense of immediacy that wasn't there before. It brought it to a national level. And I think having the bravery to be able to do that is something that we should all stand for. But in almost equally large numbers, white Americans opposed Kaepernick and the protests. Colin, how dare you sit there and blame white people for the problems of minority communities? When will those in black communities take a step back and take some responsibility for the problems of black communities? Because it seems to me blaming white people for all of your problems might make you the racist. All of this presented the NFL with a very clear choice. We're proud of our country. We respect our flag. They could stay on the right side of Trump, the polls, and majority white sentiment, or they could be on the right side of history and help steer the conversation back to police brutality and racial injustice. Wouldn't you love to see one of these NFL owners when somebody disrespects our flag to say, get that son of a bitch off the field right now, out, he's fired. After Donald Trump called for firing black players who protested, the league did its best to signal that it was finally ready to stand up for its players in what seemed to be a miraculous conversion to the cause of racial justice. Rapper Jay-Z has agreed to partner with the National Football League to promote social justice initiatives and expand entertainment options. We listen to our players. We have the greatest platform in the world, and we're using it in a very positive way. But even as Roger Goodell and team owners were singing their own praises for giving black players a voice, they were still doing everything in their power to silence protests altogether. The NFL is out tonight with a new policy on the national anthem, insisting that players... League owners not only moved to ban protests in 2018... If anyone is on the field and is disrespectful to the anthem or the flag, uh, there would be a, a fine from the league. They also continued working behind the scenes to make sure Colin Kaepernick never stepped foot on the field again. I think the key takeaway here is that the owners were not interested in acting on any of the players' concerns. The owners were only interested in trying to get good PR. In its mission and values statement, the NFL proudly and boldly declares that it embraces its unique leadership role in society, assumes the responsibility that comes with that role, and does the right thing, even if it's unpopular. But at every step of the way, NFL executives and team owners responded the way you'd expect the heads of any multi-billion dollar entertainment corporation to respond. By bending to popular opinion to protect market share, profits, and especially their own power and control. Hi, Jerry, it's Kristen here. I'm wondering if in your mind, athletes should just be quiet play their sport, or should they use their platform to talk about issues that matter to them? But one thing about the NFL, politics are not good for us in any way. We've got to stay away from politics. All right, welcome back to Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM, KPFA and KPFA.org. You are listening to clips from the documentary film Behind the Shield. 
the power and politics of the NFL. This film features Dave Zirin, the nation's sports writer and editor, is the author of 10 books on the politics of sports. Most recently, The Kaepernick Effect, Taking a Knee, Changing the World. Dave Zirin is a frequent guest on ESPN, MSNBC, and Democracy Now! He also hosts the nation's Edge of Sports podcast, and you can find his work through his website, edgeofsports.com. In Behind the Shield, this film we're featuring tonight, Dave Zirin tackles the myth that the NFL was somehow free of politics before Colin Kaepernick and other black players took a knee. Digging deep into the history of the league and navigating a stunning excavation of decades of archival footage and news media, Siren chases how the NFL has promoted wars and militarism and nationalism, glorified reactionary ideas about manhood and gender roles, and normalized systemic racism and corporate greed. The film also shows how the NFL helped vilify any challenges to the dominant order as unpatriotic and inappropriately political. You can get this great film and support KPFA Radio at the same time. If you are able to donate to KPFA right now, please head over to the kpfa.org website and click on that Donate tab. If you want to use the phone and call in a donation, you can call one 800 439 5732, and that's 1-800-HEY-KPFA. If you're a football fan and interested in the politics of sports, this is the perfect film to get. Share it with your friends and fans alike. I'm very excited to get a copy of this film myself and to feature it tonight on Full Circle here on KPFA. The film, again, can be yours for a one-time donation of $120 or you can make a $12 donation over 10 months. Head over to kpfa.org, click the Donate tab, and help support this unique media outlet, KPFA. Again, thank you everybody that's been donating and calling in tonight. I really appreciate it. You know we're going through challenges here at KPFA and the Pacifica Radio Network, so every dollar counts. Thank you so much. But let's move on to this next piece because Full Circle has been covering sports and what sports mean to us, our society, and our families for a long time. And I want to feature this commentary from 2013 from Full Circle graduate Audie G., In the film we're featuring tonight, Behind the Shield, The Power and Politics of the NFL, they speak about black men's bodies as commodities. Well, check out this clip from our 2013 sports show on Full Circle. It's introduced, written, and read by my co-host at the time, First Voice graduate, Audie G. Uh, I'm a big sports fan, and I felt it was necessary to address the significant role black men's bodies have in the sports world. I mean, if you think about it, the... The most important part of the NFL is the draft to some degree, and even down to the college level. Um, The anatomy of these men have a great value to the team owners and the corporations. So they rack up millions of dollars, but historically I believe there is an obsession with the black male body to some extent. So, um, Well, let's check out your commentary. 
fact that American slavery was predominantly a profit scheme, the foundation of the case for the NFL as a present-day slave trade has nothing of any kind to do with money, yet everything to do with the anatomies of black and brown men. To a greater extent, our country's infatuation with heavily perspired, overexerted, and pushed-to-the-limit colored male bodies. Professional athletes are well compensated for whatever liberties, whether true or imagined. The ideology that in today's supposed not so post-race America, it is easier to discuss the attachment of wealth that adorn men of color's bodies than to take a good look at exactly what part their bodies play in our lives and commerce. According to Kellogg professor Robert Livingston, 65% of NFL players are black, while team scouts and doctors are overwhelmingly white. The reflections presented at the Combine bring forth the slavery similarity at its most barbaric. A glimpse of Harley clothed, muscle-bound black men being evaluated under the scrutiny of white men with dollar signs for eyes brings the auction block to mind, whether you admit it or not. Past the fleshy inspection, there's the view of the black male body working, jumping, running, and pushing boundaries for the utmost satisfaction of the collective gawking of NFL partners and fans. Naturally, it's completely rational for a proprietor of a sports team to want to appraise the goods before they make a purchase. Nevertheless, it's the racialization of American football that is demonstrated within the racial design of the whole system that makes this picture complex. Throughout history, it has been a white man as the main consumer of the black male body affected by violence and pain. The same way I cover my eyes when watching a player get their helmet knocked off or lay motionless on the field is the same way I felt shielding my eyes from watching the scene of two Mandingo slaves rip each other apart in Tarantino's film, Django. However, it is not entirely the player that captures recognition from the extravaganza of the combine. For a jock upset with a lack of buzz, events like the NFL scouting combine is the chance to show the people that matter just what you got. This is a very consequential difference, especially when the repugnant comparison is made to a slave auction. Since no person came into slavery willingly or even viewed a slave auction as a ticket to make it big, but the comparison is made due to the increased marketability of the combine as an entertainment event. It is the fundamental point behind the obsession that replicates the fetish of black male bodies, created from the nation's past as one built by white slaveholders on the backs of African people. Let us decipher that all forms of slavery are about power and control. This is Adi G for Full Circle on KPFA 94.1. Welcome back to KPFA here on 94.1 FM. And you just heard a great commentary by my co-host, Audie G. So what's up with that commentary, Audie? Why do you want to um, take us that angle? Well, I, I read somewhere um, from a woman named Thelma Golden. She's a, a she's a corridor from the Studio Museum in Harlem. And she was quoted in the book, Violence and Visual Culture, The Black Male Body, calling the bodies of African-American men as one of the greatest innovations of the 21st century, invented because black masculinity represents an amalgam of fears and projections in the, Afri- in the American, sorry, in the American psyche, which rarely conveys or contains the, t- the trope of truth about black male existence. So what I really felt that we should really address is just the fact that the black male body plays a big role in the building of this nation and the entertainment uh, aspect of this nation. And then we should just recognize it as, as its use being um, 
as a commodity. It you is know? a commodity it now. It is a major commodity, you know, tall, black, dark, and handsome, big, strapping black man. And like man. I said, the references you'll hear sometimes during sports is like, oh, he was the workhorse of the game or stuff like that. Yeah. And for some of the folks that feel that the comparison is a bit over, is a bit of an overstatement, um, to be real, the sim- similarities are quite obvious, almost so obvious that you almost look past them. Um, the body the body is a, is a work of art, and I feel that it was necessary really to address that. Um, also, I felt that professional sports are used for billionaires to control the bodies and the minds of young people, and a lot of young men in inner-city communities really look to sports and athletics as a way to get out of their situation in poverty, but you know, there's a backdrop to that. They're used for so long, and, you know, their bodies are just, you know. Used up and spit out. Right. All right. Welcome back to Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM, KPFA and KPFA.org, part of the Pacifica Radio Network. That was a clip from Full Circle 2013 Sports Show. And my co-host at the time, Audie G, with her great commentary on black men's bodies as a commodity to be used in sports like the NFL, baseball, basketball. Tonight's film, we are featuring Behind the Shield, the power and the politics of the NFL, also discusses this topic of what um, these bodies are used for. And before we run out of time, let's get back to one clip from the documentary film Behind the Shield, the power and politics of the NFL and see what happens to those bodies after they've been used up. We'll hear from some of the players themselves on how they were treated by the NFL. And remember, if you're interested in getting a copy of this film, While you're listening, head over to kpfa.org and make a donation and get yourself a copy of Behind the Shield. Well, fast forward to our own time, and it's amazing how little has changed. Boisterous masculinity is systematically suppressed to make way for a timid caretaker class. Men feel that they can't be men. I just think people are soft in this country. How are we breeding the next generation of leaders when everyone is so soft and weak? We are wimping down. We're wussifying American men. Our culture today is trying to completely demasculate all of the young men. The deconstruction of America begins with and depends on the deconstruction of American men. Over the past few years, we've once again heard a rising chorus of voices decrying the so-called wussification of America. Men who are heterosexual, strong, aggressive competitors are no longer an acceptable part of society. Not really. They're the problem. You go to college campuses now and you'll find classes on how to take masculinity out of men. And as in the 19th century, we've seen these fears play out on the stage of football. What does the NFL stand for? Masculinity, strength, toughness. I don't want it to be taken over by a bunch of wusses. What used to be considered a great tackle a violent, head-on-head, violent. Now they tackle. Oh, head-on-head collision. Bing, flag. Football's become soft like our country has become soft. But while these defenders of the old masculine order have been wistfully pining away for the manly men of days gone by, 
they've forgotten to mention one crucial fact, that the impervious image of manhood that the NFL has been promoting for decades is a complete and total lie. Get ready, ready to be hit, crushed, squeezed, and mashed into curious shapes. The National Football League has been great at glamorizing the hard hits. As the players became bigger, stronger, and faster, the game became increasingly hazardous, and therefore even more exciting for player and spectator alike. The seemingly superhuman toughness of the quote-unquote real men play the game. You can't hurt this! I'm a machine, jerk! But they've left out the physical costs. When I would hand the ball off and I would watch a guy go into the pile, what you hear and what you see you wonder how guys are coming out of that. It sounds like a, a, a car accident. Not just the soreness on Monday, but also the careers cut short and the lifetime of crippling injuries. The physical and mental toll of the nation's most watched sport is being highlighted by the surprise retirement of the NFL's Andrew Luck. In seven years in the league, the former first round draft choice has had a lacerated kidney, injured ribs, at least one concussion. For the last four years or so, I've been in this cycle of injury, pain, rehab, and it's been unceasing. It's taken my joy of this game away. The league doesn't want us to think too much about what the players' union once said, that the NFL is the only profession with a 100% injury rate. Or what a former player once told me, that to play NFL football is to skip middle age. You go straight from being young to being old. I have this atrophy. I, I'm starting to look like a skeleton and it's just this right hand alone, but I have this throughout my body. Or the fact that the average player's career lasts only three and a half years. And for the rest of our lives, we're gonna be dealing with some of this stuff. The injuries don't go away. The pain doesn't either. I don't know how many surgeries I had since past. Four knee surgeries, you know, fused neck, then another surgery, then another surgery. It takes me forever to get dressed. It takes me forever to do simple things like put your shoes on. I've had issues with pain medication. I think that is uh, a problem that a bunch of ex-players have. I'm not sure it's talked about as much as it should be. The fact is the NFL has systematically tried to keep all of these realities out of view. Some of the nation's toughest athletes, pro football players now retired, are suing and claiming a secret world of deception by the league, where powerful painkillers were handed out like candy. We now know the league spent decades pushing drugs on NFL players to mask their pain, causing irreparable damage to their bodies and brains. But that's not the mythology embodied by the shield. The NFL has built its brand on being the ultimate blue-collar working man's game. But despite the nice stories they tell to burnish their brand's appeal with working people, their values are corporate through and through and all about the bottom line. As Tech Schramm, an original president and general manager of the Dallas Cowboys, said famously during the 1987 players' strike, the players are cattle and owners are ranchers, and owners can always get more cattle. Welcome back. You're listening to Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM KPFA and KPFA.org. And that was a short clip from the documentary film Behind the Shield, The Power and the Politics of the NFL. In that clip, we heard how the players' bodies have taken abuse over the years and how they are 
unable to lead a long, healthy life. Some of their careers only last three years. The average career is three years. The only professional industry where everybody gets hurt. We only have a few minutes left in the show tonight. If you are able to make a donation and get yourself this film, give us a click at kpfa.org. If you want to use the phone, 1-800-439-5732. That's 1-800-HEY-KPFA. And if the film is just not something you're into, head over to kpfa.org and take a look at all the other gifts we have available for you. Before I do run out of time, let me give a shout out to the Full Circle crew. Our executive producer is Miss M. Me, I am the technical director for this show. I've also been your host tonight. Remember, check out our website, kpfaapprentice.org, just after the show for pictures, archive shows, and important links and information related to tonight's show. We will post a link to Dave Zirin's information and a link to donate for this film. Everybody, if you can, head over to kpfa.org. I'm out of time. Thanks for listening, everyone. And remember, while you're out there, to please protect your health and also your humanity. And stay tuned to KPFA because up next is La Onda Bajita. Good night, everyone. Good night, everyone.